Welcome back to another edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I am your host, G2. I am here to give you the recaps of Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW, Impact Wrestling, and SmackDown. Also, in the means of this, I will be talking about um, some certain things that I paid attention to in the wrestling programs this week that I'm not sure everybody catched, but I'm pretty sure within the weeks coming, everybody will seem to understand exactly what I'm going to say. But just to get underway, I'm going to start with Monday Night Raw to start the show. On Monday Night Raw, we had John Cena having his in-ring return. Well, not in-ring return, but uh, in-ring promo. He opened up the show. He got the fans excited. He played around with the crowd. He made it comfortable. He made this crowd get lively and cheerful and electric. The fans were already electric and cheery because they got to see John Cena and also his Monday Night Raw. But Cena just pumped in a little extra more juice that... I'm not going to say it's needed, but it helped the product. Um, Cena's main point of being out there was he was there to call out uh, Roman Reigns. That's his whole main point. He said that he'll be at Friday Night SmackDown, but he came to Monday Night Raw to get his uh, get the wind beneath his wings. He wanted to just pump the crowd up. He wanted just to be there to feel the electricity that he felt the night before at Money in the Bank. But he was there to let the fans know that he's here at WWE. He is back. Um, he knows he, uh, the funny thing is he knows that the fans know that he has a busy Hollywood schedule. He even poked fun at that saying, you know, I have a busy Hollywood, you know, I have a busy schedule. Yes, I will be, I will be wearing the Peacemaker outfit at the Suicide Squad premiere. He kind of poked fun at himself because fans know that he's so busy and so working around, but that is just one little piece of John Cena that. The fans know, and the, John Cena got to play around with the fans. But getting back to the point, he, he let the fans know that on Friday Night SmackDown, he will be at SmackDown to call out Roman Reigns to challenge him for the Universal title at SummerSlam. After John Cena got done with that, he played around with the crowd just a little bit longer, and then Matt Riddle's music came out. Matt Riddle's, Matt Riddle's music played. I'm sorry. Matt Riddle came out. He came out on his little scooter. He got into the ring. Pyro cut goes off. And he, him and John Cena just have a good little bro down. John Cena says bro. Matt Riddle says bro. And then they serenade each other with bro. And then they give each other a fist pump. And then it just gave Matt Riddle that little John Cena like experience. Because as soon as John Cena left, Matt Riddle was like, wow, that was John Cena. You can hear him even mouth off, that's John Cena. And then he got on the side rope and posed the Randy Orton pose. Which leads into the first match of the night, which was a six-man uh, tag team match. It was AJ Styles and Omos and John Morrison going against Matt Riddle and the Viking Raiders. Matt Riddle and the Viking Raiders did pick up the win whenever uh, Riddle sprayed Omos in the back with one of John Morrison's little drip sticks and got um, Omos to get upset because Omos thought it was the Miz that sprayed him in the back whenever it was really Riddle. But Omas didn't know this, so Omas gets off the turn off the apron and goes to chase up the Miz as Miz is trying to wheel up the ramp on his wheelchair and he's yelling at Omas saying, I didn't do it, it was riddle, it was riddle. And then you had AJ coming to the rescue of the Miz and telling Omas, relax, he didn't do it, he didn't do it, but Omas still wouldn't listen to it. But in the ring, John Morrison ate the Viking experience as basically a pop-up uh power slam. One of the members of the Viking readers pulls him up and throws him up in the air, while the other one catches him, hits him with a power slam, and that was the one, two, three for that. 
after this match, you got Jason Riker beating Elias by pinfall whenever he hit a superplex outside of the ring through two tables in the Symphony of Destruction match. It's basically a no holds bar match, but around the ring were musical objects. You had a piano uh, at the end of the entrance ramp. You had some guitars out there. You had a big cello out there. You had a, a different, uh, you had an electric guitar out there. You had a little electric piano. I mean, they just used so many musical objects that, I mean, that it just, it was a lot of musical objects. They used almost every exact, they used almost every musical object around the ring. So this was the first time in my history of seeing Raw or any type of WWE product whenever they use almost about every single piece of equipment that they actually have surrounded around the ring. Usually at TLCs or ladder matches, they usually don't use every ladder and every table around the uh, ring. But with this Symphony of Destruction, they used about every musical instrument they used to basically tear each other up. And they were tearing each other up, boy, because uh, you saw Elias back. It had some cuts and bruises onto it. You saw Jason Riker's back. He had some little, his back was red, and you could tell he get, took some legit shots to the back. I mean, they were falling on top of the uh, grand piano, the top of it, and you just heard a thud hitting the back. of. I mean, it was a lot, but the ending was Jason Riker superplexing Elias well off the top rope onto two tables on the outside, and everybody kind of chanted for tables, tables. The fans were chanting for that like in the closing uh, minutes of the match. But once you saw Jason Riker look at the tables on the outside and as Elias was climbing up the turnbuckle, you kind of knew where he was going with that. So whenever it happened, it didn't shock me at all. If anything, I was just happy and I was glad that this match did happen. I said it a couple weeks ago that this rivalry is completely boring, but with them doing something like this, I hope they end it and I'm glad that they did give them some type of juice to at least pump into that rivalry to at least make it worthwhile to at least have it. If it's going to be a fluff match, at least pump something into it so at least the fans at home will at least enjoy it. After this, we got Charlotte's Flair's Championship Coronation. She comes out there, and the main point of this coronation just basically for her to pat herself on the back. She's saying she's an 11-time women's champion, 11-time champion in WWE, and she listed it off. I believe she said five times Raw, five times a SmackDown and then a one-time uh, tag team champion. I believe that's what she counted it off. I believe I could be wrong. I'm not too much into the details of Charlotte's uh, championship reigns, to be honest with you. But Rhea Ripley does interrupt this whole championship coronation, this whole pat yourself on the back situation. And in doing so, Rhea Ripley is challenging Charlotte Flair for a match tonight. As Charlotte tells Rhea, I can beat you any day of the week, any time that you want. And Rhea tells her, well, how about tonight? Charlotte says, I would do it, but you just got your butt handed to you last night and you're still banged up looking at you walking out here with a limp. And Charlotte straights up the, the, declines the match. But out comes Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville. Adam Pierce and Sonya both agree that Charlotte did say that she would defend that woman's title against Rhea anytime, any place. So why not tonight? Even though they know Rhea is hurt, they still make the match for the main event. So in the main event of Raw, you would get Rhea Ripley going against Charlotte Flair for the Raw Women's Championship. And before, uh, after they even announce this, you see Charlotte Flair just chop blocking Rhea behind the injured leg. And you see Charlotte 
uh, roam out the ring and just walk up the ramp, acting like she did nothing as referees and backstage officials come out there to check on Rhea to make sure she's still ready, she's uh, all right, and see if she can still wrestle later on that night. After this, we got Tamina and Natalya beating the team of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler by pinfall whenever Tamina super kicked Shayna Baszler. But Shayna Baszler was distracted by Reginald on the outside when Reginald pulled down Natalya off the apron because uh, Natalya was about to do something to Shayna, but Reginald pulled her down off the apron and Shayna gets distracted by that. And then she turns around and eats a super kick to the face. After this, you get Shayna basically blaming the loss on Reginald. And Reginald's basically trying to tell her, I was trying to do, I was just trying to help. He's just trying to help. And then you see Shayna yelling at Nia. Not even yelling, she goes up to Nia and says, you know that we were dominant. It's been him. We have been on a losing losing streak because of him. Whenever he got on board, we started losing. Before him, we were unstoppable. And Nia just tells Shayna to relax, relax, while Nia comforts Reginald and tells him it's going to be all right, it's okay. And then you see Nia headbutt Reginald. The crowd loses their mind. Not even loses their mind, they give it a big, big cheer. People are cheering for this. And Nia says they're done. And then you see Nia and Shayna start getting out of the ring and walking up the ramp. Reginald's in the ring by himself. He's just so disheartened about what just happened. And out of nowhere, Akira Tozawa, the 24-7 champion, is chased by R-Truth and some other wrestlers that's not even on the card tonight. And the 24-7 championship is basically the old-school hardcore title. You got to defend that 24-7. That's the name, 24-7 championship. And they all trip as they're trying to get into the ring, but they trip like on the entrance ramp. Akira Tozawa's inside the ring, and he's just looking at them, and he laughs. And then you see the moment that Reginald understands that he can pin Akira Tozawa and win the 24-7 championship. And then he's about to get him with a sneaky roll-up, but Akira Tozawa turns around and looks at Reginald, and Reginald has to hit the little backup, like, hey, it's okay, I'm not going to do nothing to you. And then you see Akira roll, run up and about to hit Reginald. Reginald uh, does some circus Cirque de Olay uh, type of maneuver, of dodging maneuver. And then he ends up hitting a frontward, I'm not even going to say Huna Karana, like a, basically a running forward uh, pinfall maneuver on Akira's out. It's really, really different. But he gets the pin, and Reginald is now your new 24-7 champion. So he gets dumped by the team of Naya and Shayna, because they blame him for them always losing. They lost their respect, their WWE Tag Team titles, and they blame Reginald for that. And once he gets dropped, he ends up winning some gold himself. So now, one, whenever they, it's it's the old saying, when one door shuts, another door opens. So now we will probably get some little hijinks with Reginald being the 24-7 champion probably next week on Monday Night Raw. We'll have to see about that. If I was writing it, I would probably like put a little... Thing in there where Reginald's walking around with 24-7 championship, and then you see Naya and Shayna just over talking to one of stuff, and they look at Reginald, and Reginald just looks at them and flashes a smile and flashes a 24-7 title at them, and then somebody tries to pin him, but he still performs a Cirque de Olay type of maneuver to get himself out of that pitting predicament. That would be me if I was writing, but we'll have to see what happens uh, next week on Monday Night Raw. After this, we got Sheamus beating Humberto Carrillo yet again. And Sheamus headbutts uh, Humberto and then bro kicks him in the face. That's how he gets the win off of this. 
Sheamus was uh, completely not in, not wanting to do this match at all. Sheamus didn't want to wrestle Humberto. He makes the complaint to Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville and asks them, what are they doing? Why are you giving Humberto another shot at the U.S. title? And they had to tell Sheamus, this isn't for the U.S. title. This is a championship opportunity. If he ends up winning, then he gets another shot at you. But this is just one of those championship matches that if he wins, you get a shot. If you don't win, no harm, no foul. So Sheamus says, okay. Sheamus, yet again, mind you, he's still wearing the little metal face mask. So whenever he headbutts Humberto in the match, Humberto is stunned. And then that allows Sheamus to hit him with the bro kick and get the pinfall. So after that, you got MVP and Bobby Lashley coming out to the ring and they have an in-ring promo. In the promo, MVP and Lashley both give credit to Kofi Kingston for lighting a fire under Lashley to make him come back to the dominant man that he was before he won the WWE Championship, before he started hanging around the women, uh, just drinking the, well, enjoying the fruits of his labor. Lashley is not a guy that is supposed to enjoy the fruits of his labor. He's supposed to go in there, kick butt, and just leave as the victor. That's all Lashley's supposed to do. So they were given credit for Kofi for that, and they also said, well, Kofi learned out the hard way last night at Money in the Bank whenever he couldn't last with Lashley, whenever Lashley put him down. And Lashley gets on the mic and he tells whoever else in the back, I'm out here, who is out there that could think they can even beat me? And you see minutes go by and then you hear a certain theme that we haven't heard here in a while. And out comes big old Keith Lee. Yes, Keith Lee. Limitless Keith Lee, big man. He hasn't been on Monday Night Raw or been seen in WWE as a whole since January. His last match, I believe, was whenever he faced Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship earlier this year in January. And this is now July. So that's a good six-month vacation that Lee had. And nobody knows what happened. Keith Lee has never said what happened to him. But he did promise the fans uh, sometime last month on Twitter that whenever he comes back, everybody will be glad for him to come back and he will explain everything within due time. I haven't uh, seen anything about him explaining anything yet, but Keith Lee is a man in his word. And he said once he comes back, everybody will be elated and everybody was elated. And this was a good little back and forth match between Lashley and Keith Lee. Lashley did give Keith Lee a lot to try to overpower and a lot to do. Keith Lee was able to match Lashley with the power and with the speed and with the force. But in the end, Lashley beats Keith Lee whenever Lashley hits uh, Lee with a spear and pins him. Then after this, you had Bill Goldberg coming out to challenge Lashley and get in Lashley's face and tells him, you're next. Well, excuse me, I got that backwards. Lashley is in the ring. Bill Goldberg comes out, and Bill Goldberg yells in Lashley's face, I'm next. I'm sorry. That's exactly what happened. So we are getting Bill Goldberg going against Lashley, and that was something that was rumored on the Internet for about a good subtle two weeks that Goldberg will be coming back to go against Lashley at SummerSlam. And I'm not happy about it at all, but I'll see how this goes. Lashley, I'm not going to lie, this would do, like, okay, we'll give Lashley a big name like Goldberg. 
and I'm cool with that. Fine, I came to the conclusion that, you know what, if we give Lashley this big win over Goldberg, even though the name Goldberg is still a legendary name, but, like, the in-ring stuff doesn't mean much. The only thing Goldberg got is, like, a running spear, and that's about it. But he still does, still does have that good uh, velocity that he can do something. But other than that, Goldberg, let's be honest, he doesn't he doesn't cut it in this generation's uh, ring work. So, And he's also an old man. He can't last that long in the ring. So, given Lashley, Goldberg, so you know this match is going to be about a good five-minute match at SummerSlam for the WWE Championship, because that's where they're going. Whenever Goldberg comes back, he always gets the big matches, and WWE's not wasting this. So, at SummerSlam, I'm calling it now, just like everybody else has called it. We're getting Lashley going against Goldberg for the WWE Championship. Lashley is going to beat Goldberg within five minutes. I'm calling it now, five minutes. That's all they're giving it. After this, we got... Jinder Mahal and Indy Sheer have an in-ring promo. And in the promo, they were singing happy birthday to Jinder. This was Jinder's uh, birthday. And in the process of this, Drew McIntyre attacks Indy Sheer. And in the process of this, Jinder Mahal leaves the ring. And one of the members of Indy Sheer follows Jinder Mahal up the ring. And while the, top, while the tall one is left in the ring with Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre ends up beating this guy down, and then he grabs a chair and starts wailing on this guy mercilessly with the chair. He starts beating on his back with the chair over and over and over, and I mean, the fans are counting it up. Now this first chair, he the fans counted up with a second chair, and I said it again, a second chair. Drew McIntyre busts a chair over this guy's back, after wailing on it so much that he ends up getting a second chair and he beats on this guy back for a good 20 hits on the back with the second chair. I'm not sure how many times he hit him with the first chair, but the second chair gave him about a good 20 hits with that. And every time he was just laying it in thick with those hits. So I know homeboy got a big old welt because they know because on the um, WWE like .com, they showed a footage of his back all bruised up after getting hit with the chair so many shot times. And, I mean, his back was bruised up. So, anybody that says WWE is fake and those chair shots are fake, nah, they're not. Just, I want you guys just to look up online uh, my man's back after he got beat so much by the chair shots by Drew McIntyre, and you'll see that WWE is not fake. Wrestling is not fake. Uh, after this, we got Jeff Hardy beating the in-ring debut on Monday Night Raw. Killer Cross, or as NXT known as uh, Kevin Cross. Oh, no, no, no. Carrion Cross. There it is. I'm sorry. I got so mixed up with his independent name to his professional name on WWE. Carrion Cross. He had his raw mainstream debut, and he was still wearing the NXT World Championship because he is the NXT World Champion, and he gets beat by Jeff Hardy within 1 minute and 37 seconds. And he gets beat by a roll-up whenever Jeff Hardy puts his feet on the ropes. This match caused the internet to get completely upset with the WWE booking backstage. People back, people on the internet were so upset because Cross... I, I, you know what? I'll say that for after all this is done. Alexa Bliss has a backstage promo. And... Her backstage promo is interrupted by Eva Marie and Dewdrop. And in this promo, 
Alexa challenges Eva Marie to a match, and she tells Eva Marie that if you're so good and you're so special, you'll leave, do drop in the back, and you'll just have me and you out there. Since you're so special and you're so gifted, Eva Marie didn't answer it, and she just walks off the little uh, playground playset that Alexa has backstage. So that was that. And in your main event, you have for the Raw Women's Championship, you had Rhea Ripley beating Charlotte Flair by DQ whenever Charlotte hit Rhea Ripley with the women's title. After this, you had Rhea Ripley beat down Charlotte Flair outside the ring and hits her with the riptide on the outside. And then, out of nowhere, you hear Nikki Ash's music hit, and she comes running down with the women's Money in the Bank briefcase, and the crowd is going insane. They are... You hear nothing but cheers going on as you know what's about to happen. Nikki Ash cashes in her Money in the Bank briefcase and she hits a flying crossbody off the top to Charlotte, who's now inside the ring. And Nikki Ash pins Charlotte and gets the one, two, three off a flying crossbody to become your new Raw Women's Champion. So at the end of the night, we got a new Raw Women's Champion. We had Karrion Cross debuting a Raw, but losing to Jeff Hardy. And we had Goldberg coming back. And we had Keith Lee coming back to Monday Night Raw. Raw uh, was a good uh, stable show. Now, on to NXT. To begin it off, we have Samoa Joe coming out, pissed off as ever. And he gets in the ring, and he gets a mic. And the main point is that Joe wants Karrion Cross. He wants Cross for choking him out last week. And Regal comes out and he tells Joe that you know that I can allow you to go after Cross. You know that. Regal is just so adamant that he tells Joe that I can allow you to go after Cross. You know this. You know that whenever you put yourself in that position to be the referee, you know that you couldn't put your hands on him. Samojo says, "Uh uh-uh. You know the deal, Regal. Don't try to backstage this. Don't try to mouse cookie cutter this whenever you said out of your own mouth that if i get provoked i get to lay hands and i am provoked so regal tells joe you know what cross is coming but whenever he gets here i want this to be ended and done nobody puts hands on nobody do you understand me joe tells regal point blank listen i can't guarantee you that i can guarantee it's going to be ended tonight but I can guarantee you that it's going to be ended peacefully. Joe walks up to the entrance ramp, and now we get our first match of the night, which is a tag team match of the team of Kushida and Bobby Fish going against Roderick Strong and Tyler Rust of Diamond Mind. Kushida and Bobby Fish beat Roderick Strong and Tyler Rust whenever Kushida locked in the hoverboard lock on Tyler Rust and made Tyler Rust tap out. After this, the next match that we got was Frankie Monet beating J.C. Jane, by pinfall whenever she hit her with the glam slam. But during this match, we had Mandy Rose again coming out. And this time she was laying on top of the announce table and just just staring at the in-ring competition. At times, you had Frankie Monet and JC Jane looking at Mandy Rose and just wondering why she was out there. The same thing the crowd was wondering why she was out there. And the same thing why commentary team were wondering why she was out there. Again, Mandy Rose hasn't said nothing else, nothing about being NXT, why she's there. So it's still a mystery to why Mandy is there. But again, Frankie Monet did beat JC Jane whenever she hit her with a glam slam and got the pinfall. 
After this, we had the match of Kyle O'Reilly beating Austin Theory by submission whenever Kyle O'Reilly locked in the heel hook on Austin Theory. In the match, you had Kyle O'Reilly beating up on Austin Theory, but Austin Theory was able to come back and dish out some punishment to Kyle O'Reilly. Before the match ends, you see uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Austin Theory on the outside battling and just fighting out to one another. And then you see Kyle O'Reilly just flip the switch whenever you see Austin Theory removes one of the steps off the other. And it makes Kyle O'Reilly kind of have a metamorphosis, goes to his dark place, because the last time somebody took the steps off the other step, it was Adam Cole doing that, and he delivered a brain buster to Kyle O'Reilly months ago. So this had Kyle hit a flashback. So Kyle was hit a metamorphosis, he got darker, and then he just starts wailing on Austin Theory and just hits him mercilessly and constantly hits him, hits him, throw him in the ring, slam him, hit, 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 lock in the heel hook. You see Austin Theory just bites on his fingers for a minute. He's trying not to tap, but he ends up tapping. After he taps, you see Kyle O'Reilly gets up. He stares directly at the hard cam and he tells, and he just yells at, where you at, Cole? So you can tell that all in Kyle O'Reilly's mind is still Adam Cole. After this, we had Legado del Fantasma have an in-ring promo. They were supposed to have a mariachi celebration where the crowd can listen to mariachi music, but Legado tells the mariachi band to leave the ring. He doesn't need them to be out here. He's not going to allow these fans to listen to the greatest music ever. And you see that they are trashing Hit Row. They are saying that how Hit Row is a disgrace. They don't have good music choices. How Swerve is not a great champion. How Santos Escobar is going to be the greatest champion. How he's going to bring back the North American title to Mexico. But Hit Row interrupts. Hit Row able to throw in some Mexican stereotypes towards Legado del Fantasma. Talking about how Santos threw uh, Raul Mendoza and Joaquin while Quinceanera calling them little girls while they know Santos Escobar is their poppy, so they call him Poppy Escobar. And in the end, it leads into a big old brawl between Legato and Hit Row. Hit Row ends up getting the upper hand and standing tall whenever Santos and Raul are up the ramp and they just stare in the ring and Joaquin Wilde is surrounded by Ashanti Diodonis, Top Dollar, and Isaiah Swerve Scott. Isaiah has a guitar in his hands, and he hits Joaquin Wilde in the back with the guitar and leaves Joaquin laid out. So this tells you that the there's going to be a match between Santos and Swerve somewhere down the line for the North American title. When? I don't know, but we will be getting that sometime. And the next match after this was another opening round match for the NXT Breakout Tournament. Had Odyssey Jones beating Andre Chase, formerly known as Harlem Bravado of independent fame. Odyssey Jones beat Andre Chase by pinfall whenever he hit a modified side power slam. It was basically an old school John Cena like move, but now since John Cena don't use like his old stuff anymore, somebody can now take it. So Odyssey Jones did take that and got the win off of hitting a modified side power slam. After this, we had the matchup, L.A. Knight going against Drake Maverick. Again, L.A. Knight has his brother out there, Cameron Grimes. And, he, and in the match, you see L.A. Knight tell Cameron to hold up the Million Dollar Championship. And why am I telling you all this? Because it leads into the finish, where Drake Maverick ends up drop kicking L.A. Knight's head into the 
million dollar championship while Cameron Grimes is holding it and Drake Maverick ends up uh, rolling up LA Knight to get the pinfall. After the match, you see LA Knight beat up on Drake Maverick and constantly just beats up on him, stomps up on him and punches him. And Cameron Grimes gets in there and he tells him, that's enough. We need to go. You done your job. You did. You got the win. No, you didn't get the win, but you did enough. We let's go. LA Knight tells Cameron point blank, listen, you're my butler. You got to do what I tell you to do. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to punch Drake in the face. That's what you're going to do. You say you're a man of your word. So guess what? You're going to punch him in the face. Cameron Grimes is so disappointed. He's like, I don't want to do it. You can see the, you can see in his face that he is tormented with his decision. Is he going to be a man of his words and punch Drake in the face? Or is he going to not punch Drake in the face and not be a man of his words? As Drake is being held up by LA Knight, you see Cameron Grimes punch Drake in the face and he reluctantly does it, but he does punch Drake in the face. And Ellie Knight and Cameron Grimes walk out of the ring, and you see Cameron go back to Drake Maverick and talk to him and tell him that he's sorry that he had to do that. And then it cuts to now Raquel Gonzalez going against Zia Lee for the NXT Women's Championship. Raquel Gonzalez beats Zia Lee by pinfall whenever she hits her with a Chicona bomb, and it's basically a Lift up, power bomb, the same thing she's been doing, her same finish. But in the match, Zaylee does get hurt, like legitimately hurt, you, where the referee has to come there and check up on her. She got hurt whenever uh, she got hit with a good like power slam, not even a power slam. She got hit with a scoop slam, and then Raquel Gonzalez goes to the second rope and hits a modified uh, twisting. Vader bomb in the air and lands on Zia Lee. But apparently a lot of force must have knocked the win out of Zia Lee because Zia Lee was just on the mat for a good solid two minutes. And Raquel Gonzalez had to play it off and just tell her to get up, get up while Zia Lee was on the mat just so hurt. You see how much it she was literally in pain to the point that the referee had to go over there and check on her and then like officials had to come out to make sure she's all right and other referees to make sure they give the clearance that she's okay. Raquel Gonzalez goes over there, hits her with her Chicona bomb, gets the win, one, two, three. Raquel Gonzalez is still your NXT Women's Champion. After this, we get Samoa Joe going out to the ring, grab a mic, and just calls out Cross, because Joe has been waiting all night for Cross to be there, and Joe Cross hasn't been there not once. So Joe gets on the mic, calls out Cross, he keeps calling out Cross. Cross shows up, but on Titantron. He shows up right on the screen. The screen pops, and you see Karrion Cross on there, and he tells Samojo Point Blank that he has the power because he's holding the NXT Championship, so he gets to do anything that he wants. And in the process, whenever he says he gets to do anything he wants, he flashes the camera down to a laid-out William Regal on the ground. And then he goes back, and he flashes it back and says, I'm in control now. And then Cross walks to his car, gets in the car, and then drive off. But you see Samojo running directly towards the car and just yell out, Cross. And then he yells out, Cross again as the car is scooting out. So you can tell that Karrion Cross is double dipping. He's on Monday Night Raw and NXT. But his main focus is Samojo and NXT with this whole situation with him and Joe going at it. 
Next week, we'll probably see what more happens, but I see that we're probably going to get a match down the line between those two more sooner than later. Now on to AEW, Night 2 of Fighter Fest. First match of the night, we had Chris Jericho beating Sean Spears in the first Labors of Jericho match. In the match, Chris Jericho could not use a steel chair, but Sean Spears could use a steel chair. Jericho beats Sean Spears by pinfall whenever Chris Jericho hits the Judas effects on Sean Spears. But during the match, Tully Blanchard was trying to interfere, but Sammy Guevara came out and pulled Tully Blanchard off the apron and then brought Tully Blanchard directly to the back. So it was left to Sean Spears and Chris Jericho. And during the match, also, we had MJF on commentary, basically clowning Chris Jericho by calling him a pregnant man, saying how he's washed up and calling him an old man and antagonizing Tony Schiavone on commentary as well. Anyway, after the match, Chris Jericho is still in the ring and MJF gets off a commentary table and he grabs a microphone and he lets Chris Jericho know that you can no longer have anybody else come out and help you in your matches because if anybody else come out to help you during your matches, you will never get a shot at me. And he lets Chris Jericho know that since he wants to play dirty and bend the rules, fine. Next week, your second labor will be a no-holds-barred match but it will be against this man, a man that has robbed the bank with no mask, a man that has stabbed his opponent in the neck with a fork. It will be Nick Gage, hardcore legend of the independence, the man who is still running the independence right now, the man who has had an episode on Dark Side of the Ring, who basically brought his popularity more skyrocketed, Nick Gage. Nick Gage will be going against Chris Jericho next week, on AEW Dynamite in a no-holds-barred match, and this will be the second labor of Jericho. Again, remember, Chris Jericho has to win all five matches to get his match with MJF. That is still the requirement for him to face MJF. Chris Jericho has to win all five labors of Jericho matches, and this one will be his second one. After this, we got Doc Gallows beating Kazarian by pinfall whenever he hits a baldo bomb. After the match, you had Anderson, Carl Anderson, and Doc Gallows beat down on Frankie Kazarian some more, and they hit him with a magic killer. After this, you had Don Callis and Kenny Omega come down to the ring and just basically chastise Kazarian for constantly being in, being in elite business and calling himself the elite hunter. So now they're going to try to put Frankie Kazarian out of his misery. Out comes Hangman Adam Page and Dark Order to make the save for Kazarian before he can get beat down by Don Callis and Kenny Omega. And that's how you end that segment. The next match was Darby Allen going against Wheeler Yuta. Darby Allen beat Wheeler Yuta by pinfall whenever you hit him with the coffin drop. But in the match, you had Orange Cassidy and Sting kind of have a little interaction between each other. You had Darby Allen soft kick Sting in the leg and Sting soft kick Darby in the leg. They go back and forth and then they both... At the same time, many super kick but soft each other's leg. Just so lacklusterly and lazy, but the fans loved it. They cheered for it, and everybody cheered for it. People online were loving it. Shoot, I laughed at it when I saw it. I was like, okay, this goes completely with Orange Cassidy persona, and Sting is such an icon that he can do whatever he wants, and the fans loved it. Anyway, after the match, you had the Blade coming out of nowhere and knocking out Orange Cassidy with brass knuckles. Whenever Blade hit Orange Cassidy 
behind the head with brass knuckles and laid him out. So that put their match in jeopardy later on in the night. The Blade going against Orange Cassidy kind of in jeopardy. People didn't know whether that match would be happening, yes or no, and you will find out later. Britt Baker beats Nyla Rose to retain the AEW Women's title whenever she locked in the lockjaw on Nyla Rose and made Nyla Rose tap out. It was a solid match. I mean, you had some messy mess-ups here and there, but it was solid. There's still two growing talents that still got to work good in the ring. Britt Baker knows who how to work, but she got to have like a um, legendary person, like a person that has been wrestling, a veteran, if you will, to guide her and make her get better in the ring. Same thing with Nyla. They can do other things because Nyla had a nice, good series of matches with Sheeta last year during the pandemic, and they were at least solid. So these two are still green. They got uh, still got some work to do, but with them, give it some time. Give it about a good couple months, and I guarantee you they will be better wrestlers than a lot of people will give them credit for. After this, we had the Andrade El Idolo in-ring promo. Andrade introduces his surprise, his new council that will represent him in AEW and be around him. Chavo Guerrero Jr. Chavo Guerrero of the Chavo Guerrero uh, of the Guerrero family, Chavo Guerrero Jr. will be joining Andrade around AEW. And their first act was to call out Death Triangle. Death Triangle comes out and Death Triangle, Pac, more importantly, lets Andrade know that you can never call out Death Triangle. Death Triangle doesn't run for nobody. Death Triangle is always here. As a matter of fact, they're scared of nobody. Andrade speaks in Spanish and then he cuts it and then he speaks back in English and he tells Phoenix and Penta, why are you working for Pac? He's not like us. He's not representing Latino culture. He's nothing like us. Me, I'm Andrade. I'm the legend. I am the idol. And I am here to represent the Latino faith in the Latino community. You guys joining me, you guys work for me now. Pac and Phoenix gets on the mic separately at separate times, and their whole main gist is to let Andrade know that you are not the face of Latino culture. We are the face of Latino culture. And we don't work for PAC. We're a brotherhood. We're a true family. You, you're not family. So then you see them walking up the ring, and they're on the apron, and then you see Andrade and Chavo get out of the ring. And now you see where they're headed with this. Andrade wants Penta and Pac, not Penta and Pac, Penta and Phoenix to join him and leave Pac. This will make a good little storyline right now, a good little, like, faction between them because people have been wanting the LWO to come back. And for people that don't know, the LWO back in, what, I'll say 98, were a faction of... Latino wrestlers in WCW joining all up together to hold down the cruiserweight division and represent Latino culture. The only man that didn't join the LWO was Rey Mysterio, but that's a separate time for separate time for a history lesson. People haven't wanted a LWO faction to come back, so we could we might see it with Andrade and Pac, not Pac, but Phoenix and Penta down the line if we do get it, but if we don't. I can see AEW getting some Latino uh, 
wrestlers to join Andrade and make their own like super Latino like faction. Maybe I can even see Andrade pulling uh, Santana and Ortiz away from Chris Jericho down the line. Maybe, but we all have to see. After this, we got the match of Orange Cassidy going against the Blade. Orange Cassidy beat the Blade by pinfall whenever he hits it with the Orange Punch. It's basically a Superman punch, but he calls it an Orange Punch. After this match, we had the aftermath of the match where Orange Cassidy got brass knuckles and hit Blade with the brass knuckles again with another Orange Punch, but this time with the brass knuckles. Just basically a receipt. And then the main event for the IWGP United States Heavyweight title, we had Lance Archer beating John Moxley in a Dallas death match. A Dallas death match was basically, you can't win. The only way you can win the match is by knockout or submission. Knockout is basically you can't make your opponent stay down to the count of 10, which Lance Archer did whenever he choke slammed John Moxley through two tables, but on top of the tables were Bob wired. So, in the process of being chokeslammed through two tables, John Moxley was still entrapped in barbed wire. Both men were bloody in the match. It was a nice, solid match. You had forks, you had chairs, you had kindle sticks, you had trash cans, you had trash can lids. I mean, they were just beating up each other, just cold cocking each other, going at each other, just wham, 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 into the chokeslam through two tables with barbed wire on them. John Moxley couldn't get up to basically continue on fighting, so he was counted out, counted down to 10, and now they considered that a knockout, so Lance Archer did get the win, and he is now your new IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion, and after the match, you had a man from New Japan come to the ring, he came out from the crowd because he was sitting there throughout the night, it was Hikaleo, Hikaleo is the brother of Tamatanga and Tongaloa, the son of Haku, member of the Bullet Club. He is six foot eight or six foot about a good six foot ten. I'll give it that. And he will be challenging Lance Archer next week for the IWGP United States Championship. I've told you guys for the past two episodes of Wrestling Highlights of the Week that we will be getting somebody from New Japan on AEW television. I thought I'd be somebody bigger, like in a bigger name, but I did say we'll be getting somebody from New Japan on AEW television. And it seems, yet again, we are getting some cross-brand promotion from New Japan AEW because New Japan is having a show in August and it's likely we're going to see some AEW television, AEW wrestlers on their program. So why not try to get New Japan stars on there and we're going to pump up uh, their show on August the 14th so people can go there, go to that event and watch it live. So... That's just my my idea of why Hikaleo is there and why we're getting so many IWGP United States Heavyweight like matches constantly because we got one last week. We got one this week. And then next week, we'll be getting a, another IWGP Heavyweight, IWGP United States Heavyweight match between Hikaleo and Lance Archer. That's just me. I see another name from New Japan probably popping in to probably help out Hikaleo a little bit. That's just me and my own little head thinking of it, if it was me, like, planning this out. But again, I could be wrong. But then again, I could be right. I'm probably leaning on to, I'm right here. But that's just my thoughts for that. But that was the 
main event for AEW. Now on to Impact Wrestling. The first match that we had was Chris Bay going against Rohit Raju. Chris Bay beat Rohit by hitting him with the art of finesse, which was basically a springboard diamond cutter. After this, we had Jay White, the New Japan IWGP Never Openweight Champion, come out to the ring. But before he did come out to the ring, he did meet up with Chris Bay behind the stage before he did go out to the ring. And he told Chris Bay that, did you get my message? Chris Bay told him, yeah, I got your message. Jay White is referring to a t-shirt that he left in Chris Bay's dressing room and is a Bullet Club t-shirt. Jay White wants Chris Bay to join the Bullet Club. And Chris Bay is not sure if he wants to do it or not. Jay White tells him, well, you ain't got that long to think about it because this offer does expire. Jay White goes out to the ring. He cuts an in-ring promo. The promo is his main point of being out there is the main point why he's in Impact is for two reasons. The first reason is for David Finley, and he lets David Finley know that David Finley was ducking him and that he can't duck him because whenever they face each other at their August event, they will be locked in, and that's all David Finley got to do. David Finley is dead on arrival whenever he gets there because he's going to lose to Jay White. The second reason why he is there is for Kenny Omega, the Good Brothers, the fans of the Bullet Club. And as soon as he says that, Doc Gallows, Carl Anderson, Don Callis, and Kenny Omega come out on the ramp. Don Callis lays, lays in the Jay White and tells him that, Jay White is the guy who now runs Bullet Club, huh? The guy that faction is, what, selling hundreds of shirts now? While Don Callis gives out the resume of Kenny Omega being the guy who took Bullet Club to the next level, while Carl Anderson and Don Gallows are the godfathers of the Bullet Club. They helped bring in talent for the Bullet Club. They made it such a great group, but now Jay White is the guy who's leading nothing but mid-carters. Mid-carters are mid-guys in the middle of the card. These are the guys that are never getting to the main event position. Those are mid-carters. So in a sense, oh, Don Callis is calling the new Bullet Club nothing but mid-carters that are led by a guy that's basically mid himself. So he tells Jay White that he should be thanking God that Kenny Omega and the Go Brothers left Japan so that he has a good livable wage. And that Kenny Omega is the god of professional wrestling and yada, yada, yada. Jay White gets on the mic and he tells Don, listen, you don't even work at Impact anymore. I'm surprised how you're even still here. And the guy that you call your wrestling god, last time me and him went, on one -on -one, went against each other one-on-one, -on -one, uh, I'm pretty sure I beat your wrestling god. That led Don Callis to get upset. That had Kenny Omega calm down Don Callis. Kenny Omega tells Don, you know what? I mean, you're going to go to the back. We'll let uh, Doc and Carl handle this. Carl and Doc handle it. And then Carl tells Jay White that he should be getting on his hands and knees and thanking people like Carl Anderson and Doc Gallus for leaving Japan so he could make a livable wage. He should be on his hands and knees that we made a group like the Bullet Club so that he can be able to make a good minimum wage, live good in professional wrestling, live good off of doing professional wrestling. But they said, but I think our thank you letters got lost in the mail once we left Japan. So since you didn't send us a thank you letter, we're here now. You can just thank us. It's two little words, two simple words. All you got to say is thank you. Jay White tells him 
that you see all the thing that you guys do is talk. And uh, you guys don't do a lot of fighting. So Jay White drops the mic and punches Carl in the face and punches Doc in the face. Now you got a brawl between the Good Brothers and Jay White. Jay White doesn't stand a chance. He gets knocked down and he's about to get hit with the magic killer. Then Chris Bay comes out and saves Jay White's butt. And now it's down to Jay White and Chris Bay in the ring. And Jay White and Chris Bay just stare at one another. And Chris Bay is smiling at Jay White. So this is kind of giving us a little preview of maybe Chris Bay is with Bullet Club. Maybe not. But it does look a good way that Chris Bay might be joining his way onto Bullet Club. After this, we had an in-ring promo again from Mickey James. She comes out and she calls out Deanna Peraza to apologize for what she did at Slammiversary. And at Slammiversary, she slapped Deanna Peraza because Deanna Peraza was talking a lot of smack after Nikki Mickey wanted Deanna to be on the NWA uh, show Empower. Nothing but female professional wrestlers on that card. Nate Mickey comes out and apologizes to Deanna. Deanna doesn't accept the apology and tells her that if you really are sorry, you'll get on your knees and beg for my forgiveness. And Deanna says, if you don't want to do that, you can get out of this. Matter of fact, you would allow me to do exactly what you did to me at Slammiversary and allow me to slap you across the face. Mickey James says, oh, really? We're going to do that now? And before things get out of hand, Gail Kim comes out, and Gail Kim lets Deanna Peraza know that she contacted Mickey James and allowed her to come to Impact Wrestling because going to NWA Power, an all-women's wrestling show ran by a woman like Mickey James, a legendary woman in this business, will do you greatness. It will do you a great favor for building your legacy that you're trying to build. And Deanna Peraza basically accepts going over to NWA Empower. So at Empower, we will be seeing Deanna Peraza on that show. After this, we got Chelsea Green, Jake Something, and Matt Cardona beating the team of Tennille Dashwood, Brian Myers, and Sam Beal by pinfall whenever Chelsea Green hit an unprettier on Sam Beal. It was a standard six-man, well, intergender match, but it didn't really get intergender until Chelsea Green and Sam Beal whenever she hit him with unprettier. And it was a good, solid six-person match. Nothing more than less to be out here. After this, we got the street fight of Eddie Edwards and W. Morrissey, formerly known as Big Cass. I will still continuously say that. And they fought in the parking lot. W. Morrissey was winning, and I mean beating down Eddie mercilessly in the parking lot until Eddie Edwards got two kendo sticks from under the production truck and started wailing on W. Morrissey with the kendo sticks. Until the fact that W. Morrissey had to run and escape into the building and, w and Eddie Edwards just cheered outside the outside the building with the fans just holding the candlesticks and just yelling in the reverence of making W. Morrissey just run away. After this, we got a team of Finn Juice going against Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. Finn Juice beat Ace Austin and Madman Fulton when Juice Robinson pinned Fulton after the match. You had Ace Austin and Fulton beat down on Finn Juice. And then you had Rohit Raju and Shira come down to help beat down on Finn Juice. So in the end, it was Finn Juice laid out by Shira, Rohit Raju, Ace Austin, and Madman Fulton. And in your Impact main event, you had Havoc and Rosemary defending their knockouts tag team titles against Fire and Flava, Tasha Steeles, and Kiara Hogan. Rosemary and Havoc 
win the match whenever they hit a their tag team finish, a white Russian leg sweep and a spear combination onto Kiera Hogan and get the pinfall. So Havoc and Rosemary are still your knockouts tag team champions. Now on to Friday Night SmackDown. To begin the show off, we had John Cena yet again coming out to energize the crowd and let Tim let the fans know why he is there. He is there to confront Roman and challenge Roman for the Universal title at SummerSlam. He calls out Roman and keeps on calling him out. Roman doesn't come out, but Paul Heyman comes out. Paul Heyman lets John Cena know that before tonight's level, he guarantees him that you will be hearing Roman Reigns' answer to that challenge. And before he leaves, he even does a little mock of John Cena's entrance theme of the little horns and the doo-doo-doo-doo. He does a whole mockery of it, and the fans are laughing at it. Pat McAfee on commentary has, gets a little chuckle in on it, and I even chuckle at it whenever I see it at home. It was a nice little funny little thing to happen. The first match of the night is Finn Balor beating Sami Zayn by pinfall whenever he hits Sami with the coup de gras. Again, this is just another match to get Finn Balor back to being on the main roster and recognized by the main roster audience. After this, Big E comes out, and he was about to cut an in-ring promo, but he was crashed by Apollo Crews, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, Nakamura, and Cesaro. They all end up brawling in the ring, but the men that were left standing in the ring were Big E, Cesaro, and Nakamura. After this, they turn it to live footage of the Rolling Loud musical event rolling loud is a hip-hop musical event which wwe decided to this year collaborate with at rolling loud so you got a couple of matches at rolling loud and a couple of matches that aired on smackdown were the street profits of angelo dawkins going against chad gable dawkins beat chad gable whenever he hits him with the sky high and got him with the one two three after this match still at rolling loud you got the SmackDown Women's Championship being defended by Bianca Belair again going against Carmella. And then again, Bianca Belair beats Carmella when she hits her with the KOD, the Kiss of Death. It's basically a psycho driver. And after the match, they turn it back to the live audience at the SmackDown Arena. And Edge is in the ring. Edge calls out Seth Rollins. And before he calls him out, he lets Seth Rollins know that he's evil. He can't wait to get his hands on Seth Rollins. He's been trained by some of the most evil, sadistic men in the WWE that has ever been in the WWE. And he calls out Seth Rollins because he wants revenge for Seth costing him the universal title at Money in the Bank. Seth Rollins comes out and he mocks Edge. He calls him Old Man Edge. He talks about how Edge is here. He jumped the line. He doesn't like Edge and he doesn't like John Cena. People that come back and think they can do whatever they do because they are big legend names and they can come back and jump the line over people like Seth Rollins. Seth doesn't like this and in the end, Edge and Seth Rollins ends up into a brawl. Seth was about to hit the curb stomp on Edge but Edge cuts him off and hits him with the executioner. is basically a jumping uh, DDT and Edge is setting up for the spear, but Seth Rollins rolls out of the ring. That's how they end that. Next thing that you have was Tony Storm beating Selena Vega by pinfall in Tony Storm's SmackDown debut. Tony Storm hits Selena Vega with a Storm 1 to get the pinfall. 
Jimmy Uso beats Dominic Mysterio by pinfall. Again, whenever Jimmy Uso does get a roll-up on Dominic Mysterio, and this time, again, Jay Uso behind the referee's back. The referee doesn't see this. He puts his feet on Jimmy's back to give him more leverage to get the win over Dominic Mysterio. And in the main event segment, you had Roman Reigns come out, and he cuts a promo. He basically says that... He calls out John Cena saying that he thought John Cena has changed. Hollywood did a number on Roman. Roman said, I was fooled by Hollywood. I thought you changed. I thought we were going to get a new John Cena in WWE. and But no, we got the same old John Cena, the same old guy that panders to the audience, the same old guy that cuts the same old promos, the same old guy who likes to play around to the fans. No, that is not what Roman Reigns wants. Roman Reigns says not to that. So, Roman says that I'm not going against John Cena at SummerSlam. He declines that challenge. As soon as he declines, give it about a good five seconds, Finn Balor's music hits. Finn Balor comes to the ring, and he looks Roman in the eye, and he says that I'm here to challenge you, Roman. Since you turned down John Cena's challenge, how about mine? Roman looks at Finn, and he has a nice little, like, chuckle, and then you see Paul Heyman grab Roman by the shoulders a little bit. And he talks to Roman. And he just talks to him. You see just the camera pan over back to Roman. And Roman just listen intensely while the fans are chanting, Roman fears Finn. Roman fears Finn. And then Roman walks over to the ropes and he looks at the audience and he says, I fear him. Me, fear him. He laughs it off and then he looks back at Finn. And then he just gets on the mic and he says, you're on. So now we're going to get Finn Balor going against Roman Reigns. I'm not sure if it's a ploy to get something out of John Cena to either snap off next week or something because Roman played into the fact how John Cena is not this is the same John Cena that was here since 2005 and does the same promo, same everything. The same exact thing that us, the fans, used to critique Roman Reigns on, Roman Reigns critiqued John Cena on for being the exact same way that he was all this time. And Roman had to make the change. So he's basically laying out the guidelines and laying out a little plan to have John Cena kind of change his ways. We'll see if John Cena picks up on that. We'll see if the fans pick up on that. I did. I understood exactly what Roman was talking about when he said that. But we'll see along the lines of what the fans pick up, up on that. And that has been your Monday Night Raw, your NXT, your AEW, your Impact, and your Friday Night SmackDown's uh, highlights. The thing that I wanted to talk about, because the thing that I did say I'll get to that at the end of the episode, was Karrion Cross, the Karrion Cross situation. Karrion Cross is your NXT World Champion, right? He lost to Jeff Hardy on Raw. People might say, casual fans might say, okay, what's the problem with that? Karrion Cross is the first guy, and people have done research on this. People have looked it up. He's the first guy that held the NXT title to go up to the main roster and lose their match on the main roster. Shoot, I start thinking about, thinking about okay, NXT call-ups on their first night. They usually don't lose their match their first night. They usually don't. You even had Tony Storm coming from NXT on SmackDown beating Selena. A couple weeks ago, you had Tegan Knox and uh, Shotzi beating Tamina and Natalia in a tag match. 
You had Kevin Owens coming to for his first night and dropping John Cena with a pop-up powerbomb. I mean, you had Shasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch come up from the NXT and go and have their like like little factions in within the exact same night. And I mean, you have usually if a NXT roster uh, guy gets guy or gal gets called up, they usually don't lose their first match. And if they do, there's usually like a good hard like hard-hitting match that nobody in the crowd or nobody online will be complaining about. Like when Sami Zayn lost to John Cena in the United States Open Challenge in 2015. Nobody complained about that because Sami Zayn had his uh, main roster debut. Nobody complained. Whenever Sam, whenever uh, Adrian Neville, formerly known, well, Pac, formerly known as Adrian Neville, lost to Seth Rollins like the night after uh, WrestleMania. People didn't cry about it because you got uh, Neville on the main roster going against Seth Rollins for the WWE Championship, and Neville was so close to winning the WWE Championship. People didn't complain about that because people were happy to see him on the main roster. People, this one was different. Karrion Cross didn't get a hype up to be on, like, upon Raw. He didn't get hyped up, like, oh my God, we're going to see Karrion Cross. The social media team didn't even, like, Pull it out there to say, like, Karen Cross is going to be debuting tonight on Monday Night Raw. It was like a cold open for him. It just, like, shows up on the broadcast, like, 30 minutes into the broadcast. Karen Cross will be debuting on Monday Night Raw later tonight. It was completely weird. And I forgot to mention this. 2019, you had four call-ups. You had Aleister Black, now known as Malachi Black in AEW, Ricochet, Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa. Johnny Gargano at the time was a North, North American champion. Tommaso Ciampa was the NXT champion. You had on social media, you had the social media team put out a post letting the WWE fans know that these four men will be making their Raw debut later that night. And all four of those men made their Raw debuts, but they were in tag team matches, not against one another, but against separate people. And Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa had a feud at the time, but they were feuding uh, NXT, but they teamed together on Raw. It was really weird. And then you had Aleister Black and Ricochet, two guys who would have never thought they should be mashed together to a tag team. They actually did well as a tag team unit on the main roster. It was weird. But all in the same process, both of those teams end up winning their debut match. Karrion Cross, again, I have to say this, they did not pump it on social media saying that Karrion Cross will be debuting. That's a strike. Karrion Cross ends up Debuting on Raw, the fans doesn't react. They don't react to nothing. It was like a cold open. Like, you just threw out raw fish to the audience. And, I mean, like, no reaction to the crowd or nothing to Karrion Cross, which was weird. And also, he didn't have Scarlet with him. That's strike two. You don't have a centerpiece of your entrance. Karrion Cross's entrance, whole thing revolves around Scarlet doing her thing. So, whenever he comes in... He can do this whole little menacing brute stare and menacing look and his whole beating of the chest and everything else. That's required of him for his entrance. They didn't have Scarlet on the on in nowhere in the vicinity of him debuting. Nowhere. And in the, the third strike in the top it off is Karen Cross loses. How can you have him lose to Jeff Hardy? Not to respect to Jeff, and Jeff is a legend in professional wrestling legend status but he should have got beat down after the fact after 
he won against Karrion Cross, or he should have lost to Karrion Cross because Jeff Hardy wouldn't have it wouldn't have been a demerit on Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy's already a legend, and you get the drift of what I'm getting at here. He's a legend. So nobody would have looked at Jeff Hardy like, oh my God, you lost to Karrion Cross. How bad is this? The way that everybody's looking at Karrion Cross for losing to Jeff Hardy. And yet again, I have to reiterate, it's not because Jeff Hardy is a legend or he's a scrub or anything like that that people are complaining. People are complaining because he, Karrion Cross is the NXT champion. You are, he's undefeated in NXT. He was completely undefeated. He didn't lose not a one match. And he goes up to Raw his first night and he loses to Jeff Hardy. Again, we're not complaining that it's Jeff Hardy. We're just complaining that he lost his first match after being undefeated in NXT and he's the big champion for NXT. That was completely weird. Now, I tweeted out, I hope this is just a test run for Karrion Cross to get on the main roster to see how the audience feel about him. I'm hoping that it's a test run. More likely is not because after the match, Karrion Cross did let get on the microphone and say that Jeff Hardy has made a big mistake. So we're going to see Karrion Cross more on Monday Night Raw now. I hope they get him with his manager, with his valet. They hope they bring Scarlett up because without Scarlett, the whole cross presentation, the whole cross entrance doesn't make a lot of sense the way that he's been presented down at NXT with Scarlett. If you look back at, if you guys had the Peacock uh, app, or even if you got YouTube, just search Karrion Cross entrance on YouTube and you'll see his entrance in NXT. And I'm pretty sure somebody already has his interest on Raw. Just look at the two and see how they're both different from one another. And tell me which one is more impactful and more memorable. I'm not even going to tell you which one you should be voting for. But when you see it, you'll know exactly which one is more impactful. That's my this whole thing on it. It was weird that Karrion Cross lost on Raw to Jeff Hardy. It was weird that he just lost, period. After he was being like deemed undefeated in NXT. But hey, Vince runs the company. Vince, that's Vince Company. It's WWE. Vince McMahon does what Vince McMahon does. That's why Triple H is in such like put on such a pedestal for these NXT like roster. NXT, his NXT roster, his NXT matches, his takeovers. He's on a big high horse because. Everybody loves Triple H and what he does over at NXT. People love it. So Vince, with the main roster, with the SmackDown and the Raw, I don't know what he's doing with that whenever they want to bring up NXT like talent. I don't know what he does with that. I don't know what his whole thinking process is. He does have a great track record with NXT talent being brought up and them doing something with them. He doesn't have a great track record so far. I'm hoping that changes, but right now, that was a big, big no-no for him just to like have Karrion Cross lose on his first night. And with no Scarlet, nevertheless, it was real weird. Again, just really weird. Anyway, that has been your wrestling highlights of the week. Uh, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from me next time. And tomorrow, I'll be dropping my Sunday portion of my rest, not wrestling, but my Two Cents podcast where I talk about anything uh news related or something that just something that i find really interesting but until then this has been my two cents podcast wrestling highlights of the week i want you to have a great saturday and i'm hoping that you guys will check me out tomorrow on sunday but if not
check me out next week, Saturday, for my wrestling highlights of the week and my social media links where you can reach me at on Twitter at my two podcast, Instagram, my two cents podcast G2. And for business inquiries, or if you just want to email me, my two cents pod at yahoo.com. And yet again, it's not T O O or even T W O, it's actually put the number two in all these occasions. So again, Put the number two in all these uh, social media links. You'll be able to get me there. But anyway, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from this voice again, whenever you do hear from me. Uh, I do love you guys. Have a great Saturday. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.